to talk a lot about things in our environment that can be harming our health that we may not even know are there. But we also discuss the fact that you can't control every little aspect of your environment. We can control what we bring into our homes and we can make small changes. We can start with small changes and not make this a big overwhelming thing. One of those small changes you can make starts with Row Casa Organics. It starts with the cleaning products you bring into your home, the personal care products. They have a great line of products that you can feel comfortable using around your kids, using on yourself, using with your family, your pets. Um, these products are clean and they are safe. Go to rocasaorganics.com and use the code BOOMCLAP to save 20% on your first order. Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. I learned so much from today's guest, Tamara Rubin, the Blood Safe Mama. Wow, her documentary taught me so much, but then talking to her today, I'm just overflowing with information on lead. And I want to preface this episode a little bit with the fact that I understand this conversation could lead some to anxiety or worry. And it's never our intention on this podcast to lead with fear. Like we don't want to sow fear to you. We do want to provide discussion though on topics that could make us afraid, but if we have knowledge, it empowers us to make choices and make changes for our family so that we can do better. If you're someone who may be afraid hearing about lead in your home and things like that with your children um, and potential of lead poisoning, make sure you listen to the end because she gives such good advice, um, such good advice at the end. So make sure you don't um, miss that last few minutes there. Um, We talk about government corruption. We talk about... um, how race is used in politics with a lead conversation. We talk about what's happened with her children, um, how she's helping other parents, things that you need to be aware of for your own families. We get into so much. Um, I, I really didn't know this conversation could be this big, honestly. Um, another thing that we touch on is the vaccine topic because there are um, similarities to be drawn with these issues. Um, and it's something that she's been pretty clear that people have come at her from both sides. Um, I wish kind of that we had continued recording for a little bit because we did continue to go on about the vaccine conversation a little bit afterwards because she was asking me about um, if I was still working as a nurse. And what we ended up talking about is the fact that both of us have made different decisions. And when you hear her talk about this a little bit, you're going to think she made a different decision than me, possibly. Um, But what I want you to know is both of us believe that everyone should have the freedom to access information and the freedom to make your own decision based on that information. And I'm in total agreement with that. That's what medical freedom is about. It's about, it's not about the choice you make, but about your freedom to make it. So I don't know. I just wanted to add that there since we continued that conversation at the end. It was so good. So anyway, guys, Tamara Rubin, here we go. Let's get into this with the lead safe mama. Okay, Tamara, um, (laughs) we were just chit-chatting and we can just start chit-chatting again because that was good stuff. But anyway, we were just talking about how you're in Scotland right now. Yes. You got away from America for a little bit. Yes. Um, You know, I learned that you can, I mean, I'm just, I I just think our country is so impressive right now, but I, I learned that you can spend up to six months in the UK without a visa as an American. And you can also spend up to six months in France without a visa as an American. 
Um, and the cost of food over here is so much cheaper, especially when you have teenage boys um, and they eat a lot. And then also um, there's health insurance options for Americans traveling abroad. If you're gone for the entire year, your health insurance is a tiny fraction of the cost as if you were in the United States. So we've decided to be gone most of the past, well, we left in May initially. So we were gone most of May through and through May. Okay. So are you, do you homeschool your kids? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. I, I, I wouldn't say homeschool. Um, basically the school system failed my children. So Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, do what I can. And, uh, we have kind of a mix of, um, because my, my 19 year old, he's going to be 19 in a week from today. Um, he has a brain injury with a visual memory in the fourth percentile. And, um, that from being acutely lead poisoned as a baby. And then my other kiddo, my younger one, he's 15 and he has, um, a severe ADHD diagnosis and, and an autism diagnosis also he was lead poisoned in utero because I was poisoned when Avi was poisoned. And then I got pregnant and didn't think to know, or, you know, there was no awareness about prenatal testing or preconception testing for lead. So I uh, have these two kiddos who have fairly significant disabilities when it comes to learning. And what, what I've, I've tried to work with in the school system and legally the school system supposed to provide free and appropriate education is FAPE uh, for disabled children in the United States. And they don't do that. And they especially uh, discriminate against children who have invisible disabilities because Avi goes to school or used to go to school and get the comments like, huh, you don't look disabled. Like what the heck, you know, what does that mean? And so he got a lot of, um, disability discrimination from the school system and trying to work within the school system was incredibly challenging for us. And then the pandemic happened, which was actually a blessing because like, okay, well, he can't do remote schooling. He can't sit in front of a computer all day. So we're going to do other stuff. And so we've been basically traveling since the start of the pandemic. (laughs) And um, I think I'd classify it as world schooling. I mean, we've driven probably, oh, I love that, you know, yeah, we've driven like 50,000 miles. We've gone to something like 15 countries and the kids have learned so much. It's been wonderful. That's neat. World schooling like that. Um, I also like that you said the pandemic was a blessing because I do think that, and I, I've said this multiple times, like there are hidden blessings if you're willing to take away the lessons learned from the pandemic. And um, it did bless our family in that way too, and bringing us together a little more and being able to bring the kids home and homeschool them. But um, the reason we're talking today is because of your lead research and your work with Lead Safe Mama and um, the documentary Miss Lead that you did. Uh, I stumbled on you through a Stanley Cup reel somebody else made about you. Like, hey, I followed this girl and she was talking about these Stanley Cups having lead in them. And I'm a rare um, woman in her early forties who does not own a Stanley cup, but still I was very intrigued by this. And I was looking through all your information then on your website and just all of your work with lead. And then you sent me, I I contacted you like, you need to come on our podcast and tell everybody about this. And then you sent me your documentary, which was fascinating. That's probably not the word you want to hear describing it. 
describing your uh, documentary, but it was. Fine. So um, <laughs> masturbating is it, good. I, I mean, it's all about for me. It's about education and engaging people, and I think part of the problem. It was. With my yeah, it's it's um, it's it's uh, it's a good. It's a class, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I tell people it's a crash course on the issue and it's not what people expect. I have a lot of moms who are postpartum, either depression or anxiety or whatever. And they're like, I, I don't want to watch the movie. I'm afraid of what it's going to have in it. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's, it's just science-based and stories of families of lead poisoned children and it'll educate you and you'll come out the other side with a lot of information about how to better protect your baby, just in terms of better understanding the potential risk of lead. And I think that, you know, uh, it, it's tricky. It's a tricky conversation because my husband and I were top, talking about the Stanley cup issue, Stanley cup, the Stanley tumbler quencher, whatever that's actually called. <laughs> it's not called the Stanley cup. That's a sports trophy. Right. That's, that's true. Um, <laughs> I have not tested the Stanley Cup for lead, the actual sports trophy, although I would love to. Um, I have tested, um, I tested, I, I, I mean, probably without exaggeration, I've tested about 100,000 different items for lead since I started using x-ray fluorescence spectrometry, um, blah, blah, since I started using x-ray fluorescence spectrometry technology uh, back in 2009. So, um, I test everything. You know, people say, oh, well, if I had one of those, I'd test everything. Well, yeah, I do. And the interesting thing is it's a scientific instrument that costs $35,000 new. If you get the brand new one, um, which I haven't been able to get yet, but I hope to, it's about $50,000 new with all the software installed. This is not something that most people can afford. It's more expensive than a car. And it's specifically designed for testing consumer goods for lead and other toxicants. Now, to toxins and toxicants are different things. Toxins are biological poisons that are usually um, bacterial or um, uh, organic in nature like E. coli. And toxicants are the metals. So that's lead, cadmium, mercury, arsenic, and all those things. So the X-ray fluorescent spectrometers can that I use are the expensive ones. Um, you can find a cheap one for $10,000 on eBay or whatever. That's not the kind I use. It might look like mine, but it doesn't have the same software or the same capacity to test consumer goods down to single digit parts per million for uh, toxicants. So I have one of these instruments and, and I test everything with it. And I, I started testing my friends things. And then I started doing what I called testing parties where I would invite a bunch of people over a friend's house or have a friend invite all their friends over and, and everyone would bring a box of stuff and we would all test stuff. And then I started writing on social media about my findings. And then, you know, that was 15 years ago. And since then I've just tested, like I said, probably close to a hundred thousand items. Um, many, many tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand. And, and in, and in this inquiry, the, the intention behind it is to prevent childhood lead poisoning from common household sources, and also to educate parents and others about the potential for toxic heavy metals in common household sources that you think are safe because you think we have regulatory protections in place that protect us as consumers protections we do not have in place. And, and so for me, it's very funny that the Stanley Cup thing has gone so crazy viral because some people say, ah, it's just the bottom of a cup. It's not a big deal. You know, I'm not touching the bottom of the cup. 
But the problem is um, children touch the bottom of whatever they're fidgeting with or holding or handling. Mm -hmm. And the adult cup has similar construction to most of the children's cups made by the same brand and other brands. And if that little disc comes off, there's enough lead there to contaminate an entire home. Okay. So we're not talking about a little bit of lead. It looks like a small amount. It's the size of a pea, but it's enough lead that is bioavailable. Uh, if that little bottom cap comes off that if a child interacts with it and, and what I say to a lot of moms and uh, other parents is that, you know, kids like to play with dimples and nipples. I mean, if you, they're like, <laughs> They're going to suck on a bit of ink. They're going to, if if something has a little bump in it, they're going to rub it. Mm-hmm. And so if they're drinking from a bottle and there's a bump on the bottom, they're going to, they're going to rub the bottom of that, of that bottle. It's just the thing. And um, one of my kids, I had a freckle on my, I have a freckle on my arm and my kid used to rub my freckle on my arm while he was nursing. And, you know, it's just like kids like to play with a little fidget thing that's right there because they mm-hmm. do. So if a child is to rub that uh, dimple that's exposed and has lead, on the bottom of a Stanley cup or a Zach cup or a crocodile Creek cup or any of these other brands, like the, the cupkins, I was able to get the cupkin product recalled over, I believe 352,000 cups recalled as a result of my work, because those were specifically sold to children. And all that was covering was a little bit of paint and whether or not it poisoned children specifically uh, is irrelevant. It was illegal because that amount of lead is illegal in an item intended for use for children. The reasons it's illegal is because it's so easy for that amount of lead to poison a child. And um, and people are like, well, okay, are these really going to poison kids? And we have to go back to like the no better, do better, and first do no harm, and all these you know good uh, principles of living. And one thing to know is that I have worked with several families whose children have been poisoned as a result of uh, products like this with an exposed leaded ceiling dot on the bottom of an insulated stainless steel beverage container. Um, and, 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 and because I've had that experience, I think worked like three or four families, um, it's worth protecting others from that exposure. And then finally on that issue is that other brands do it without lead. Hydroflask and Awala make these same insulated stainless steel products and they do not use lead. Why? Is Stanley using lead? And why are we patronizing a company that uses lead when lead is one of the most potent neurotoxins known to man? Yeah. So, so it's not that I trust any of our government agencies to protect us. I don't. <laughs> and I don't think hardly anyone using or listening to this podcast does either. But like, <laughs> I just didn't know, like, until I watched some of your videos and then watched your documentary that lead was so prevalent. Like it is everywhere. And I was shocked because I just thought like lead paint, you know, I I guess I didn't have any idea that it was so prevalent and still being used. Yeah. So, so the funny thing is that there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. And I want people to know that this is not a conspiracy theory. This is just fact. And there's like business mm-hmm. and it's all out there in like in the business journals. There is an agency. There's a, there are agencies that make up the lead industry. The lead industry is an actual thing. I get that question all the time. Like there's a lead industry. What? I didn't know there was a <laughs> lead industry. Well, the lead industry publishes an annual financial report. Uh, the International Lead Industries Association and every year they post 
record-breaking profits every year. They even posted record-breaking profits during the pandemic when other businesses went, you know, you know, stayed static or, or dropped behind. They continued to make um, record-breaking profits. And there's still active lead mining around the world. There's lead recycling. And there's two primary uses for lead that um, most people are familiar with. And a lot of people experience or interact with in their daily life. And that is car batteries and bullets. Now bullets, um, you know, for hunting, you don't have to own a semi-automatic or something. There's a lot of families who hunt and they're using lead bullets. And so it's a, it's a huge industry and the lead industry is very much behind not supporting initiatives for lead-free bullets. And it's funny because I'm an environmentalist and what I learned as an environmentalist over the years is that hunters are also environmentalists, which is kind of cool because mm-hmm. a lot of environmentalists think, oh, well, hunters are bad because they're killing animals. But if they're actually hunters that are hunting, hunting venison, you know, deer for their family and, and they're going to eat the meat and they're, and they're stores of the land, there's this whole segment of hunters that are just amazing environmentalists. And those people really don't want to use leaded bullets because they know that the lead goes into the environment and kills animals and destroys um, wild, uh, wildlife, including the, the birds, the California condors, one that almost went extinct because of the leaded bullet situation. The American bald eagle uh, um, is, uh, you know, has been nearing extinction and declining numbers because of the leaded bullet situation. So, you know, if we can remove lead from bullets, and if we somehow can remove lead from batteries in cars, then <clears throat> the lead industry won't continue to post record profits. But in the meantime, they have this product, Mind Lead, that they need to see go somewhere. They so they sell it, they hide it <laughs> in, in 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 various things that, and it's not necessarily hidden. It's it's just not thought about by many, especially consumers. So the big issue is glazes, you know, ceramic glazes. And mm-hmm. you might say, oh, well, ceramic glazes don't have lead anymore. That's ridiculous. And my best example is my most horrific example is the lead levels in Williams-Sonoma pottery in, in 2023 and 2022. They're outrageous. And it's Williams-Sonoma. And people pay extra money for a higher quality product from Williams-Sonoma. Um, young women register for their wedding at Williams-Sonoma because they think it's the nice stuff. and 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 consistently their ceramics are glazed with lead contaminated glaze, which passes federal regulatory standards for leaching at the time of manufacture. But then if they own that piece of pottery or those dishes and they use them every day for five years or 10 years or whatever, eventually it will leach because the leach testing standards set by the FDA are only whether or not they leach at the time of manufacture, not whether or not they leach after years or decades of regular household use. And so that's, that's a, a regulatory loophole. And so like these, I have about, I don't know, I had about 2.5 million readers on my website last year and um, readers send me things to test or readers email me with questions. And I, and I say, oh, I want to look into that. So early last year, a young woman, I, I don't know, she, I think she was probably in her twenties, um, said to me that she bought these Williams-Sonoma dishes for her and she registered them for her wedding and she was really excited about them and they were so beautiful. And because she wanted to try them out before the wedding, she bought one set and had it shipped to her at home. 
thinking, you know, other friends would, you know, buy pieces of the settings for her wedding. And um, she got the set home, shipped to her. And on it was this giant lead warning sticker saying, warning, this product will expose you to lead. There's lead in the glaze, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God. So William Sonoma did not have a warning on the website. It was not prominently displayed. If there was one, they had no... Um, the person registering for this had no way to know that it was lead contaminated dishes. You would not buy lead contaminated dishes as your wedding registry choice if you knew that they were lead contaminated. And so I wrote about that last year, but I just, I just use that example because it's so shocking, I think. Yeah. So there was a warning on the box, but not There's prior a warning. to buying. There's a warning sticker. You can look on my website. If you look up William Sonoma, it's a sticker that's stuck on the back of the dishes themselves. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the primary way that children or anyone are exposed to lead? Is it through ingest, not exposed rather, but poisoned ingesting? Is it breathing, touch all of them? Or what's the primary like way they get poisoned? Um, so the, the, the most significant concern is lead paint in older homes. And that's mm -hmm. homes built before 1978. And, um, the 1978 law limited lead and paint to 600 parts per million. In the 90s, um, the amount of lead and paint was lowered to 90 parts per million as a limit. And the current standard for items intended for use by children is that the lead and the paint of an item intended for use by a child cannot have more than 90 parts per million lead. Um, these dishes at Williams-Sonoma have like 20,000, 15,000 parts per million lead when the standard for a hazard for children is 90. So, so the biggest concern is, is, is old uh, homes and re renovation, repair, repainting. Unfortunately, the legislation, the 1978 legislation did not cover tile. So again, it's a ceramics issue in that tile, modern tile, new tile, tile by yesterday from various countries, Italy, Portugal, the tile that you think is gorgeous and lovely and you wanna have in your home versus the plain boring stuff is, uh, is often very highly leaded and that that's not regulated at all. So um, even with renovations in newer construction homes, when there's been tile demolition and replacement, you can find significant lead hazards. Uh, for example, so I do home consultations where people hire me to come to their home and I use the x-ray fluorescence spectrometer and test the things in their home and try and help them find uh, the sources of exposure that their children have had if, they can, if their kiddo tests positive or help them find potential sources of exposure so their kiddos don't test positive. And um, I went to this one family where they had a kiddo test positive and they lived in a new construction home and they couldn't figure out why their kiddo tested positive for lead. And we tested the tile in their lower part of their house. Most of it was negative for lead. The tile in their laundry room was positive for a really high level of lead. And she said, oh, that's the original tile. We replaced that and we don't have that in most of the house anymore. And so then what we did was we tracked the lead levels in the carpet going up the stairs and they got, they had decreasing levels. So basically they did this tile renovation. It created a ton of dust. They didn't do any containment and that tile renovation contaminated the carpet that their baby was crawling up the stairs on every day. Um, and mm -hmm. they didn't do any lead hazard remediation cleanup on the carpet. So even newer homes can have lead hazards from uh, renovation. And so, Renovation is the primary exposure, and that's through inhalation and ingestion. And the primary pathway is ingestion in that 
babies have hand-to-mouth activity. So, you know, they're going to crawl around the floor and then they're going to stick their hand in their mouth. It's not abnormal or unexpected. And so that's the main form of ingestion. I mean, of exposure, sorry. My children were acutely lead poisoned when the contractor used an open flame torch to burn the paint off the exterior of our home. He, we were told he knew what he was doing. We were told he was using safe practices. He lied to us. And when he burned the paint off the outside of our home, we were home because he said, oh, well, I'm only working on the outside of your house. So it's safe for you to stay home. And since it was a 1914 home, the fumes from the paint burning that he was doing seeped in through the gaps, you know, in the windows and around the, from the doors being open or any windows being open too. And my seven month old son inhaled the lead fumes and was instantly mm-hmm. acutely lead poisoned. So inhalation is another potential hazard. And inhalation can come in from an unexpected source as well. Um, there's airborne soil. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like a weird yeah. thing to think about. <laughs> but when it rains, you can smell the soil in the air, you know? And if there's if there's a demolition, you can smell the dust when you can smell dust. Well, when there's airborne soil and that soil is lead contaminated, you can be also inhaling lead contaminated particulates um, and that can poison a child. Um, and then finally, and not uh, not the least of which con- of, of, of the concerns uh, in terms of the impact is water. But water is um, not necessarily going to create an elevated blood level. It's more likely going to help, help <clears throat> in a bad way. It's going to help um, support a persistent low level background exposure. And then if you get additional exposure, then you'll, you, you might have an elevated blood level because of the cumulative impact of multiple sources on your body. And so that's the problem too. Like people are like, oh, well, it's just a Stanley cup. It's just the bottom of my Stanley, Stanley cup. I'm like, well, it's about the cumulative impact of all these different sources, yeah. 90% of the lead in your body that you've ever been exposed to is still in your body. Your body doesn't actually eliminate lead because it biomimics calcium in biological structures. So your bones and your organs and your brain absorb it in the place of calcium. And that's how it causes brain damage and arthritis and, and, and increased risk of heart disease, increases of, of risk of kidney disease and all these other issues. Um, because it, the body thinks it's calcium and tries to hold on to it. Um, so if we can remove sources of lead from our life, we should. Uh, you can't remove all the soil in your town if you might have a contaminated soil and you live in an urban environment. But you can make sure the dishes in your kitchen are lead-free. And you can make sure where the interior of your baby's room is lead-free and your toys are lead-free. And you can, you can, that's the thing you said, oh, well, it's everywhere. And I know this is a bit of a monologue, sorry. But no, this um, is good. You said, oh, you know, it seems like it's everywhere. Watch your film, it's everywhere. And on one level, yes, it's everywhere. But on another level, it's easy to avoid because there's so many lead-free options. Like for me, you know, we're here on the coast of Scotland and it's like beautiful and there's beaches and fields and like we're, the kids aren't spending time um, in an urban environment with a lot of lead hazards, they're spending time out in the world in nature. And when, you know, the more time you spend in nature, the healthier your kids are going to be anyway. Yes. Um, 
And then also there's lots of inexpensive lead-free choices for your home, which I, I have over um, about 4,000 articles on my website with lead-free options. Uh, it's leadsafemama.com or tamarubin.com. And there's lead-free options as, as well as things you can look up your dishes and find out if they have lead or how much lead they have. And then you can use that information to make an informed choice. You don't have to go by what I say. You can say, okay, I'm willing to have this risk or I'm not going to have this risk. And, you know, and that's why the film is a good background for the conversation. Yes. I love that. It's just risk benefit analysis. And like you said, you can't control your entire environment. You can't control what everybody else is doing, but you can control what you're doing in your home and make an impact overall on your health. Um, but the questions are tumbling in my head. Like I have 10 different things I want to ask you written down just based on what you just said. Um, so I'm going to try to control myself and give them one at a time. But um, mainly, I guess the ma- the first one I want to ask is what is the benefit anyway? Like why, what is the benefit to these products that lead is used? Like, is there some impact to the product that if they just take it out, you know, in most cases, is it harder to make the product or, you know, aside from like bullets and fishing lures and stuff like that, that obviously are lead, but you know, these children's products and things. Yeah. In most cases, the benefit to the corporate uh, manufacturer is that lead is the cheap alternative. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is, and this is the, the, the bizarre catch-22, or I don't know what the right analogy is or, or phrase, but the interesting thing is, while lead is cheaper and therefore found in a lot of things, the things we find lead in today tend to be the more expensive options. The Stanley Cup, the William Sonoma, yeah. restoration hardware, brass hardware, like the things that are the more expensive things. And one of the reasons for some of that is, for example, with the dishware, it you might be able to get more vibrant colors if you use lead, or maybe you can get more vibrant colors w- with less financial investment. And um, with the hardware, they like cabinet hardware and you know kitchen cabinet knobs and that sort of thing. They add lead to make it more substantial and heavy, so you think it's more valuable and lovely. You know, oh look at this is heavy polished brass. It's 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 valuable. It's fancy, and when in fact um, it costs them less because there's lead in it and it's potentially toxic to your family. So, mm-hmm. so they use lead because they've been mining lead for generations and they need something, they need products to use their lead. So they convince industries, the lead industry convinces other industries, oh, well, you should put lead in this because that'll give it these properties. And we need to push back as consumers and saying, you don't need mm-hmm. to use lead. There's all these examples of that with lead, no lead at all. Again, like the Stanley Cup versus the Hydro Flask. The Hydro Flask has no lead. And again, that's not, <laughs> it's it's kind of annoying, but because I often do these really big things that I get no credit for. But the reason Hydro Flask has no lead is because of my work. Um, really? And yeah, basically I called Hydro, Hydro Flask was one of the first uh, water bottles I tested back in 2011, 2012. And I called them out for having lead in their products. And they said, no, we don't have lead in our products. I'm like, yeah, you do. And so then they went and they fixed their product. They told me they fixed their product. And then, then uh, I tested their, well, funny thing is I tested their new product. And I said, oh, your new product that you think is lead free 
still has lead in it. And they're like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, yes, it does. And then they did another round of um, remanufacturing, like new manufacturing procedures. And they finally came up with a lead-free product. But um, So yeah. finally so, good for them. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, there's all these little victories as a result of my work since I've been doing so long. And it's not an accident that Hydroflask is lead-free. Yeah. And, and again, it's kind of interesting too. Like another big one is <laughs> Ikea. Ikea used to have information on their website that said there was no lead in any of their products. And again, I think this was, this was the first year I got my XRF certificate. So 2009. And so I communicated with Ikea and I said, Hey, I found some lead in some of your children's products. And I'm concerned it's within the limits. It's under 90 parts per million, but it's a children's product. And your language on your website says, that you have no lead in any of your products. So Ikea went and fixed that problem right away. They changed the language on their website so it no longer said their things were lead-free. Okay. (laughs) Girls' hands in the air. I mean, it's a victory, right? Yeah. Because now they're necessarily the one you wanted, but yeah. 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 They're being honest at least. Yeah. Yeah, so I... I guess like you're testing for lead. That's one thing, but there's all these other toxicants, right? That are in products. And you think about all the plastic we ingest these days. And I mean, it's just like, we can avoid that maybe, but there's other things too. So we just have to really monitor our environment. I was thinking about, there was a part on the, um, on the uh, documentary where a man was talking about, I don't know who it was you were interviewing. You interviewed a lot of people. It was so good. But um, he was talking about how much lead we're exposed to versus our pre-industrial, you know, time period ancestors. And it just made me think about all the things we're exposed to, really, besides lead, because really our environments are so much different. They were just, you know, living more off the land and we're living with stuff. Yes, so much stuff. And the thing is, um, to a new mom just coming on this conversation, it might seem overwhelming. But it's not. You just take one decision at a time. So for me, like example, I just I learned about the antimony in plastic jars of peanut butter. And I decided I'm only going to buy peanut butter in glass or make it myself. It's a simple decision. And my children now know to only buy peanut butter in glass. And if they don't have peanut butter in glass at a store, we don't buy peanut butter. Um, it's not a complicated decision. But once you come up with like these little decisions, they all add up to Mm. a way of living that is not complicated. Um, I I often tell moms, hey, you put so much decision-making and careful thought into choosing your car seat because you knew you'd only have to do it once. You should should put that same amount of decision-making into choosing your laundry detergent, into choosing your peanut butter, into choosing your house from a same perspective, the toxic perspective, the health perspective. And then you only have to do that once. And then you have a relatively simple life. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, that's great. We are so excited to tell you about our sponsor, The Fresh Test. If you are pregnant, if you're planning on having a baby, if you know someone who's planning on having a baby or you work in healthcare, you need to know about The Fresh Test. 
When you're pregnant, you go through a gestational diabetes screening and the test they give you is this orange drink that they've given for, I think, something like 50 years or so. And it's the same test that they've used for all these years with ingredients that are, quite frankly, disgusting. Ingredients that most women would not be ingesting while they are pregnant. And so if you want a safer test for you, for your baby, go to thefreshtest.com. Use the code BOOMCLAP to save on your order. Tell your friends, tell anyone you know who's having a baby, tell the people that you work with if you work in healthcare, because this is a better option that a mom came up with who was pregnant and saw a need for something safer for her own baby. Um, and for moms, like we keep, you know, you keep speaking a mom. So um, I was thinking, aren't adults exposed to lead as well, which they are, but you were explaining on the documentary that kids are particularly susceptible because of their brain development and the stage and how it absorbs and things. Is that correct? Yes. So lead exposure causes brain damage in young children. Brain damage is usually manifested as frontal lobe impairments because the frontal lobe is the part that develops last. So you have issues like autism and, and uh, impulse control issues and violent behavior and things that are governed by the frontal lobe uh, thought processes and, and reasoning and things like that, that are, that are impacted with an adult, you have all the other biological systems. So your brain is cooking and growing until you're about 25 People used to say 20, but now it's like, you know, basically your your prefrontal cortex is not fully formed until 25. And I think that's one of the reasons like car insurance goes down after age 25 and you're allowed to rent cars after 25 because the science shows that you have your fully developed adult reasoning by the time you're 25. So you're not going to impact that is as much, although you may have brain fog and headaches and other impacts that are neurological. Um, as a result of lead exposure as an adult, but you're going to have impacts on other biological systems. And the main main impact that we're seeing, and again, there's like some conspiracy like bent theory out there about about uh, the depopulation of the of the world, but but it's not it's not a conspiracy theory. It's like science. Um, we we are uh, increasing our body burden and our genetic. Uh, impacts of toxicant exposure for, from the past generations to the point where we're heading towards, you know, um, population decline. Now, is that a bad thing or a good thing? I don't know, <laughs> you know, um, but the, the main, one of the main impacts is that lead exposure impacts fertility. It impacts the ability to conceive. It impacts um, a birth weight in newborns and other uh, birth complications and, um, and, Male fertility um, is impacted significantly by lead exposure. So another thing that we talk about in the film is Dr. Leonardo Trasande's environmental impact report from 2011 about the economic impact of all toxicants on, he Mm -hmm. he just looked at children's health, but you know, you can extrapolate the equation across all, all human health. And what he was, what he determined is that there was an impact in the United States alone at the time of $76.6 billion annually. And of that $76.6 billion, $50.9 billion of that was caused by lead. So two thirds of all environmental impacts on our health was caused by lead. 
And all the other chemicals were less than half of the impact of lead, were one third. So when you think of it that way, if we can try and get a handle on lead exposure, we'll be doing ourselves a great service and then we can have the cognitive capacity to deal with these other impacts. But lead exposure recently, um, Duke University did an aggregate summary of uh, a bunch of scientific studies that clearly demonstrated that uh, a, a very large number of heart attacks and, and uh, cardiac uh, complications in the United States are caused by trace level lead exposure in the population. Um, and the increased risk of kidney disease is then linked to diabetes and, and other complications, which is a which is a runaway health crisis in our country. Um, you know, so and, and again, back to the fertility, um, you know, more and more, or I mean, I'm 54 now. So I, I remember when I was like 20 and I had all these friends who were like trying to conceive in their 30s and 40s and having trouble. And obviously they were considered geriatric pregnancies, but 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 more and more over the last like 34 years, people I know have, have had more trouble conceiving. And, you know, mm-hmm. you can't discount the scientific indicators of the impact of lead on just these basic functions, reproduction, you know, your heart beating, your brain functioning. And so, yeah, it's, it it does impact adults in in a lot of ways. Um, And it's not just childhood lead exposure that impacts adults. It's your persistent, ongoing, low level, chronic lead exposure from sources in your environment, which is again, uh, a pointer um, highlighting that Let's try and eliminate these things if we can, whatever those are. So, you know, get lead-free dishes. There are dishes at the dollar store that are clear glass. And I guess the dollar store prices have gone up to $1.25. So it's $1.25 <laughs> now. You can get a clear glass, unpainted, undecorated plate for $1.25. I don't want to hear from anybody that they can't afford to replace their dishes with lead-free mm-hmm. options. There are lead-free options. Yeah. Cheap. Oh, and so yeah. I was I was saying that earlier, like the expensive options are Williams-Sonoma and they have lead and the inexpensive options at the dollar store are lead free. So, you know, it's really a no brainer. Not that I want to support the dollar store in that kind of, you know, paradigm uh, culturally and economically, but at the same time, that's what we have. Yeah. What we were talking about with lead exposure and impacting basically is having a multi-system impact on our bodies. Um, that that's one of the parts that's just so interesting to me. I, you don't know my background, but I was an ICU nurse for a very long time. And, oh, an ICU? Yeah, ICU nurse for 15 years. And it, it's so frustrating to me working in the healthcare system, how we don't want to look at any of the reasons we're having all these issues. And I don't know, it's just clear that our lifestyles are greatly impacting our health. And it's taking individuals like you to go and look at these individual problems to maybe put together um, a picture for everybody to see what's going on and why we um, are having so many of these um, cascading health issues in America in particular. Okay, so one thing I do want to talk about too, you were in Flint, Michigan for um, when the um, crisis was going on with their water. And that was interesting to see. But one one thing, like my takeaway during the Flint, Michigan water crisis, everything on the news was very much like no one cares about black people. No one cares about black people and their water quality. And it was interesting to me. I think her name was Toy. I can't remember her last name, but you yeah, sat yeah. down with her. Yeah, she was interesting to listen to as well because she was basically like, 
this isn't a race issue. Like you can look across America and after Flint, it came out that all these places had trouble with their water and it was all across America. But it's like nobody really wants to solve the problem. They just want to use it to impact them politically. Like that was a very, to me, um, in the media used for a political agenda, not really to help these people or anyone in America with the water quality. That's what I was saying. Like you said, you know, oh, we might be different from coming from different places politically, but I'm not anywhere politically. I'm like, yeah, just, yeah I gave up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's like, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a delicate situation to discuss if you haven't seen the film and you're not familiar with my work. But at the same time, the people in Flint don't feel like this racial demographic stereotype uh, characterizes them fairly or reasonably. And it, it was used as a talking point in the campaign and it was perpetuated and it's a myth that's been perpetuated since 1914 or before um, that it's a low-income black problem. And we discussed this at length in the film. Mm -hmm. Basically, the lead industry realized that there was such a thing as systemic racism in the early 1900s, that, that white people hated black people, white people thought black people were lower class or less educated and had fewer opportunities. And there were all these racial stereotypes. And the lead industry said, huh, let's exploit that. And we're gonna characterize lead poisoning as a low-income black problem. They like, they intentionally crafted the language to characterize lead poisoning as a low-income black problem in order to deflect responsibility so that the white middle and upper class people in our government, the men in our government who were governing then and are governing now, wouldn't think it was their problem. So they wouldn't pass legislation to fix the problem because it wasn't personal. It wasn't really impacting them. It might be impacting their constituents, whatever. It wasn't personal, so they weren't passionate about it enough to actually make this problem go away. And I wrote about this. If you look up systemic racism, put that word, those words in my search bar, you can read about the history of it. And it's kind of interesting because it talks about how with scientific studies, you choose the population that you're going to study and that bias is the study, right? It's like yep. scientific studies are biased. Mm -hmm. And back in like the 1960s and 70s, they decided, hey, let's study the impact of lead exposure on low-income Black families because we've been told by the lead industry that this is a low-income Black problem. So what they did was they gathered data that supported their hypothesis and didn't actually study outside of the demographic that they hypothesized was impacted. So then you, and, and, and actually I was writing about this, you know, a couple years ago, but then, I, then someone shared with me a, a, a paper, someone wrote about the same thing that my, what the, the topic that I was bringing up in 1974, how, how the issue has been intentionally classified as a low income black problem in order to support inaction systemic inaction that would solve the problem because the lead industry is an incredibly powerful financially driven industry and they have influences on basically every branch of our government. And again, not a conspiracy theorist. I don't know why I keep saying that, but the, the funny thing is, and I mentioned this 
no one here thinks that any of this is a conspiracy theory. I mean, like if you really, yeah. really dig into there's no conspiracy here. Yeah. Um, but but some people might say, oh, well, you know, you're just saying that because blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But the crazy yeah. thing is Sherwin Williams is one of the biggest perpetrators of the crimes in this issue. They were held accountable with the lawsuit back in 2014 in California, where a 1.15 or $1.16 billion judgment against the paint industry was won by the people of California, 10 counties. Um, and, and Sherwin Williams was one of the named perpetrators basically for knowingly selling, manufacturing and selling uh, lead paint that poisoned generations of families. <clears throat> now, historically, Sherwin Williams was responsible for mining the lead for creating the lead pigment for making the paint and selling the paint. It's a vertically integrated company. We talk about this in the film as well. Well, they are one of the biggest poisoners of our country. What paint is on the Hollywood sign? Sherwin-Williams. What paint is on the White House? Sherwin-Williams. Major American monuments and political uh, points of of interest are painted with Sherwin-Williams paint. And that is not an accident. And then the crazy thing, and again, this is mentioned in the film, under the Bush administration, the Bushes had a dog named Millie. And the Bush administration decided to do a full renovation of the White House, including a repaint. And they, um, the dog got sick because the dog was digging in the dirt around the outside of the house while they were working on the renovation. And the very first stories about Millie the dog was, Millie the dog suffers acute lead poisoning. And and people were like, oh my God, well, why is that? Well, that's because there's lead paint on the White House. Well, how, why is there lead paint on the White House? Because the lead industry owns Sherwin-Williams, you know, uh, it has a contract to paint the White House. And, <clears throat> and it's funny because in the cases against individuals, where individuals are fighting the lead industry, trying to say, okay, well, this is the paint brand that poisoned my child. They can't. They can't say, oh, well, you know, because the, the, the defense of the paint industry has been, well, you don't, we don't know whose paint is on your house. We can't, you can't say it was Sherwin-Williams. But with the White House, they did know it was Sherwin-Williams because they had the contract to paint the White House. Yeah. So they knew the lead paint was poisoning the dog. And so then like a week later, there's a story that says, Millie, the dog's diagnosis downgraded, not acute lead poisoning, so, you know, only uh, minor lead exposure. I don't know the exact language. And then a week later, it said, it turns out Millie, the dog, doesn't have lead poisoning. She has lupus. And it's like such bull****. It's like, it's the biggest bull****. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on your part? No, you're, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's a crazy funny thing because it's like this little uh, micro situation that shows the political influence by the lead industry. The lead industry influenced the news cycle about whether or not a dog had lead poisoning because of the implications on their financial responsibility for the public health crisis in the United States. There's no way, and you said you were an intensive care nurse? Yeah, yeah. You can't misdiagnose lead poisoning as lupus. Lead poisoning is diagnosed with a blood lead level test. They draw blood and they test it for lead. And if there's a high level of lead, then you have lead poisoning. 
that's not misdiagnosed. It's just not possible. So it was just really, really crazy to see the manipulation of, of the news cycle, the manipulation of a health incident of a particular being, which at that point happened to be a dog. And then, and then the other thing that's really interesting about it is that up until that point, there hadn't been a comprehensive uh, suite of legislation to address the issue of child lead poisoning. But once Bush's dog was poisoned, they passed an initiative to create the EPARP rule that required lead safe renovation that would protect children from lead poisoning. So it took the poisoning of a dog at the White House to create legislation to protect children from lead poisoning. And that legislation wasn't implemented until more than two decades later in 2008. Like one of the families you interviewed said, it's not a problem until it's a problem for you. And exactly, Um, man, I don't know, listening to you talk, watching the documentary, there's just so many um, similarities I draw between other things going on in the world and other things going on in culture, but I won't drag you into the vaccine thing because I know that you have a specific, um, a couple places you specifically talk about, you know, how people come at you from both sides on that. But I was watching recently, this is another similarity I'll bring up instead of the vaccine similarity. Um, Cheryl Atkinson, she's an investigative journalist that actually does investigative journalism. She should talk to you. Um, But I was just watching one the other day she did with uh, Tyrone Hayes. He's a um, a scientist for UC Berkeley and he studied atrazine years ago for, I I think uh, I'm gonna get Syngenta, I believe. And essentially it's the same thing. Like he came up with information. They wanted to silence it um, because it wasn't financially beneficial for them. And he's spent all these years like basically trying to draw out this is bad and the EPA is allowing it. So I don't know, let's talk a little bit about the government and the EPA and CDC and how they're ignoring this issue. You interviewed a gentleman who was supposed to sit on a board through the CDC and he was appointed. However, they did not choose him. They chose five people. And I think he said only one of them was an expert with certain opinions and the rest of them were not like they were appointed by the lead industry. Well, and so there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch there to unpack one, one, and and you can cut, you can cut this out if you don't want to include this. But the funny thing is, so I was, before we were recording, I was saying people get mad at me for being anti-vax and then people get mad at me for being pro-vax. And it's like, no, I'm pro educated choice. Yes. Me too. Yeah. And so after my, my son, Avi had no vaccines from the time he was born because he was acutely lead poisoned. And my doctor said, you know what, well, let's hold off on vaccines because we don't know what his reaction is going to be. And I was already spacing. I had already spaced out vaccines. Like I, my oldest is 27. I spaced out vaccines before most of the moms today were moms, you know? So I, um, because he had, my oldest had a vaccine reaction 27 years ago and and then um, with my my second child, who was lead poisoned at three, we stopped his vaccines after he was lead poisoned because we didn't want to have him have any impacts. Plus, he'd only had a couple because we we carefully chose which ones we wanted him to have. So then we fast forward to the pandemic. Basically, I have three unvaccinated kids, no vaccines at all. And I did a lot of research. There's no lead in the COVID vaccine. So people are like, oh, there's lead in vaccines. I'm like, there's no lead in the COVID vaccine. And I'm like, you know what? I need to travel 
And in order to travel, we need to be vaccinated because we needed a vaccine card. And so we got the minimal uh, vaccines we needed to be able to travel. And we didn't take those decisions lightly. We were very careful about how we evaluated that. And the crazy, crazy, crazy thing is that we we have had no, you can again, cut all this out, but um, <laughs> we've no, had no- I'm glad to talk to anyone on this, regardless of what their opinion is. Regardless yeah, we of what had no negative. Yeah. So, so we've had no negative impacts um, from having the COVID vaccine, except for the positive impact of being able to travel. Um, so that's, that's been amazing. And, um, and then the, 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 the upsetting thing is, so my son, Avi, who's the one who was the most acutely led poisoned, he's 19 now, he was seven months old when he was poisoned. He has to take an injectable biologic medication each month that costs about $10,000 a month, 10 to 20,000. And we don't, you know, can't afford that. Um, that's one of the reasons we're not home. <laughs> so the, the thing is, Avi has OCD from his lead poisoning because he has frontal lobe impairments. And Avi was old enough that he did all of his own research and he decided, he made the choice on his own. Like, mom, I want to get the vaccine for COVID because I'm worried about it. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to let you get the vaccine. <laughs> we're going to like do all this research. We're going to talk to medic medical specialists. And what we had to end up doing was we had to talk to people who use injectable biologics for anti-transplant rejection medication. Do you know mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. So, like, My father-in-law you know, actually had a lung transplant, not anything to do with COVID. That's what people assume, but um, a couple, it's been just over a year ago. So I'm a little more well-versed in that than I once was. <laughs> so you have to, if you had a transplant, you have to take anti-rejection medication. And what that anti-rejection medication does is it turns off your immune system. So basically you can get a vaccine, but it won't work because you're taking a medication that turns off any vaccine impacts. So we let Avi get the vaccine, but then he takes this medication that makes it like he never took the vaccine. But he made it, he was more comfortable with that. And he was making that choice as a 16 year old after doing lots of research. And, 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 and it's really kind of ironic because he's, he's very medically uh, fragile and challenged. And, but he wanted to, to have that uh, peace of mind. Anyway, so that said, the interesting, the other thing to unpack there is that, um, and at, this, at some point, you let people make informed decisions based on their own research. And, and, and you have to let your children grow up as well and make choices too. So, so the interesting thing about Dr. Lanfear, you asked about Dr. Lanfear, and Dr. Lanfear is the one who was appointed to the CDC's advisory panel on childhood lead poisoning prevention as a medical expert in the field, along with several others. And then under the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, I believe, um, he... Uh, he was, he, they had already like confirmed him on this panel and instead they ended up replacing him and these other medical experts with um, appointees who were basically appointed by the lead industry to oversee the panel for childhood lead poisoning prevention. Basically, they were people who didn't want the policies to be too aggressive and because if the lead industry were held liable for poisoning generations of children, the cost would be too high and they would cease to have those record profits that we talked about earlier. But then the other really interesting thing, and I mentioned, I have an article about this on my website that's so frustrating for me, 
It's like, I don't care about vaccines. Like I said, I didn't vaccinate my children. I decided not to vaccinate my children. I chose that 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 was the best path for them because I couldn't afford to have them have the vaccine reactions that my oldest son had when he was a baby 27 years ago. But the frustrating thing is for me, there's like the cost benefit scenario, I believe for vaccines, like in terms of the the people studying, okay, well, what's the benefit? It's like one to 16 for every dollar spent, you save $16. That's the cost benefit scenario for whatever side of the issue on, that's what the science, that's what they're looking at, right? They're saying, okay, well, a dollar spent on vaccines saves $16. Well, a dollar spent on lead poisoning prevention saves $227. Why aren't we putting all this energy into the lead poisoning prevention conversation instead of the vaccine conversation? Let's stop all the all the BS about the conflict and the challenges and the, the disagreements. And like, instead, as a society, put that energy into lead poisoning prevention, because obviously there's no disagreement on the impacts of lead on neurocognitive, um, you know, impacts on children and other health impacts on, on humans. And, and so it, it just so frustrating to me that, that so much energy is spent on something that is, that is, should be a personal choice regardless, and um, doesn't have nearly the potential positive impact it has if we put that energy into the conversation for childhood lead poisoning prevention. Yeah. Well, that brings up the question, is money, is saving money really the goal or did they just put those studies out to make us feel better, (laughs) you know, or try to make us feel better? Because I don't know that saving money is the goal. I think sometimes it's making money for those. um, Oh, the goal is always making money money. for those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and the crazy (laughs) thing is I, um, when Charlie was born, I was, I I had just given birth. I was in the hospital because I almost died. And I was in the hospital. I was, was he was going to be my home birth, but it didn't happen. Um, and <laughs> I got a call. I was like, I had literally just given birth. And what happened was I was on the Today Show. They filmed it in May when I was pregnant, but they, and I didn't know when it was going to air. And it aired on July 15th of 2008. And so like, I was there with my midwives and my husband and my mom, and we were all waiting for my contractions to start doing something. And then, the, then it was like, oh, look, I'm on the Today Show. So we're all in, like, in the birthing room watching the Today Show. And I, I always joke that Charlie was waiting for the Today Show to happen because right after the Today Show happened, he came out like in like a minute. So he decided that, you know, let's let's pop out now. So he, <laughs> he came out with, with no effort. And, um, and then like within an hour of me giving birth, my phone was ringing off the hook because I had just been on the Today Show. And it was, uh, I didn't know who was calling me, but they were asking me to come be at, uh, a, a guest and present at the uh, National Lead Poisoning Prevention and Healthy Homes Conference in Baltimore, Maryland in a, in a couple of months from then. I'm like, oh, I'll go, sure, yeah, why not? Um, uh, you know, with, with I, I just gave birth though, can I bring my baby? And they're like, sure. I'm like, you know, I just gave birth like an hour ago. And, and so I, I went to this conference in Baltimore with a two month old baby. I brought my 12 year old with me and he, he watched the baby while I was in conference sessions. And I met with the director of the, uh, the, the CDC's lead poisoning prevention program. And she started, she had this room full of parents of lead poisoned children to come to her suite. There were like 10 of us. And we were basically all vocal advocates from around the country with different um, initiatives and work we were doing. And I had my website at the time, which was my children have lead poisoning to yours because, you know, 
I wanted other people to think about whether or not their kids had lead poisoning. And, and in the conversation, she said, well, we just came up with this new study that shows that the neuroplasticity of the brain, you know, the plasticity of the brain is much better than we thought. And so lead poisoning is not permanent. I'm like, are you kidding me? Sorry. Are you kidding me? What do you mean? It's not permanent. We are parents of lead poisoned children. We are living with these permanent impacts of our children. Uh, of, of their lead exposure. How can you tell us it's not permanent? And by the way, the study that you're citing had a parallel study that said, actually, the neuroplasticity of the brain is, 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 is better than we ever thought before. However, that neuroplasticity is not present in lead poisoned children. So there are like these two studies and she was choosing to cite this one study and not cite the, the correlative study that d- dealt with the lead poisoning factor. And I said to her, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to negate our experience as parents of lead poisoned children? And why are you trying to diminish the concern for childhood lead poisoning prevention? And she said, I just want to retire a success. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And she was the director of lead poisoning prevention program out of DC. And later it came out in the news. And around that time, she was responsible for an entire sector of the city of Washington, D.C. getting having their children poisoned because she downplayed and misrepresented the uh, water test results of uh, of lead in the water for an entire area of Washington, D.C. She was like the most corrupt person ever. Anyway, it's just like, again, more reasons. These well, are regardless, even if that study was the most accurate study, like you don't say kids' bones heal really quickly. So go ahead and let them jump out of trees like frequently and break their bones because they do heal very quickly. You know, like you still try to like help them not break the bone in the first place, right? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe this is all too long of a conversation for your podcast. It's kind of in depth, but it's just, it's, it's just, um, all of these things combined made me realize the focus has got to be on me have a conversation with you. You have a conversation with your friends. We all have to self-educate and we have to rely on science whenever we can. And we really have to try and not let the political influences on science influence our decision. And that's a really hard conversation and the outcome of that is different for everybody. So, and people, you know, but people have to learn how to look for that too, the non-politically influenced science, because it's, yes. it's hard these days. It's hard. It, it's very hard. It's very hard. Okay. <laughs> you well, have other questions? I, I have like pages of things. I don't know, but this, this is a really good starting point for people. I think it, again, this conversation was fascinating. Um, is there anything else you want to tell people or you think that people really need to know um, about well, your I'm work? Well, I reiterate. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, vintage things are bad. Just, you know, stick with that. There's no, there's no home test kit that you can use to effectively test the things in your home for lead, which is why I do what I do. I test the things using XRF technology, and I publish the results on my website so you can review them and kind of try and understand them and make an informed decision. I'm not fear-mongering. I'm trying to give you science to help support your decision-making. And, you know, my website, again, is a resource with 
almost 4,000 pages of information um, around test results for consumer goods. And again, consumer goods are a minor part of the lead poison conversation, but you know, again, there's antimony and arsenic and all these other things too. So I encourage people to look things up, to not worry about testing everything they own because you can't do that effectively anyway. Even if you have a lead test kit that worked on say your vintage plastic Fisher-Price toys, which we know have lead, you don't have an arsenic test kit. You don't have a cadmium test kit. You don't, you don't have kits to test for all these different metals. Instead, simplify your life, get rid of stuff, especially if you were born in the 80s, which probably a bunch of you were, right? Yeah. <laughs> all, your toys, <laughs> yeah, right. all of your toys from your childhood are toxic. All of your dishes that you save to hand down to your children are toxic. The printed t-shirts that you got when you were four on, on some trip to Niagara Falls are toxic. Don't, don't what? hand that stuff down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Don't hand that stuff down to your kids. Know that stuff you buy today is generally safe, especially if it's made for use by children. And then in terms of simplifying your home and your kitchen, stick with natural materials, avoid highly decorative painted or glazed items and, and have the color in your home come from your textiles, you know, um, knitting and quilting and, um, and, and any, you know, it, printed cloth. It's so beautiful and non-toxic relatively compared to other forms of decorating your home. And then have the decor of your table be the food that you make. A bowl, like a nice clear glass bowl filled with fresh fruit, you know, is a better centerpiece than anything you might have that is colorful and ceramic or glass or whatever that might have toxicants in it and not be safe for your family. Because you're also trying to create traditions for your children where they will have non-toxic futures. And in order to do that, they need to not be uh, attached to the consumer goods of your grandparents based on a, a, a misguided sentimentality when your grandmother does not want her great-grandchildren to be making cookies out of her vintage Pyrex bowl that's painted with lead paint that tests positive for like 300,000 parts per million lead. Your grandmother would not want that. She'd want your kids to make cookies in a nice handmade wooden bowl for your local artist or in a clear glass bowl or a stainless steel bowl. Your grandma, that's what your grandmother wants. So, you know, kind of try and think, you know, what would grandma have done or what would my great grandma have done? How can I simplify my life so I don't have all this stuff? And so I don't have stuff where not only is the presence of the stuff a burden, but the attachment, the psychological and spiritual attachment that people have to their belongings is a burden. And when you can remove yourself from that burden, you end up with a much richer, fuller, fuller and healthier life. That's good. That's helpful. That's very helpful. So Tamara, thank you so much for coming on. I don't know. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, can you just repeat your website one more time so people can find you and maybe your Instagram handle as well? Yeah, it's all Lead Safe Mama. So it's Lead Safe Mama, L-E-A-D-S-A-F-E-M-A-M-A. -A -A. And um, and then it, the, the website's either leadsafemama.com or tamarubin.com. And you'll it's pretty easy to find. Um, and right. most of my content lives on my website. So don't look for the content on Instagram. You'll find stuff there. But like, if you want to actually research something, look it up on my website. I try, I mean, I'm getting to the point where I can't answer all of my questions. I have a couple of helpers that help me answer questions. So if you do have questions, try and 
uh, message me or join my Facebook group, which is Lead Poisoning Prevention with Lead Safe Mama on Facebook. And there are about 30,000 people in that group. And a lot of them have been um, part of the Lead Safe Mama community for a decade or more. And so not that's the best place to get questions answered because not only will I answer them if I can, but other people will have good answers for you too. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you. All right, guys, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot and I am so glad that I was able to talk to Tamara today. Next week, we are going to be back together, Cecily and I, and we're going to be discussing a C.S. Lewis um, uh, literary discussion, I guess. Um, If you've listened to us for a while, you may have caught the Andrew Pudwa episode where he talked about You know, we need to be imitating the best people. And one way to do that is to look back to great thinkers and review their literary work. So we're going to do that next week with C.S. Lewis. Be sure to catch that. If you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find us at Boom Clap Podcast on Instagram. You can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. And you can find Cecily at Cecily.Dickey on Instagram or TheGraceToGrow.com. Thanks for listening. 